First Corinthians chapter seven. First Corinthians chapter seven. going to pick up at verse 25 this morning and read down through the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 7, beginning at verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord. And again, we mentioned last week that what that simply means, there was nothing prior written, prior to what Paul is giving under inspiration. So this, again, remember what he's saying What's given to us here in the Bible is inspired of the Lord. It's just there wasn't a previous commandment concerning it. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath attained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is the good for the present distress. I say that it is good for man so to be. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not. A wife. But if thou marry, thou hast not sinned, and if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possessed not. And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in both in body and in spirit, but she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. But if any man think that he hath behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, she pass the flower of her age, and needs so require, let him do what he will, he sinneth not that the marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. So then, he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to, whom, to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. She is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. So, titled the message this morning, Keeping Our Focus About Marriage. Keeping Our Focus About Marriage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. I pray, Father, as we look into this passage of scripture and allow, we allow you to teach us, instruct us, and challenge us, and encourage our hearts in, in, in being um, yielded and obedient to what you would desire for each of our lives. For our good and thy glory, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, one of the things that's important to understand, as we mentioned last week, in reading this passage of Scripture is verse 26. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. 
This was a this was a, of course a situation that Paul was addressing. Evidently, there were some questions at Corinth about um, marriage. If I'm married, should I stay married? Or if I'm not married, should I get married? And it was because of this present distress. Understand uh, the 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 conditions or the uh, the circumstances of the times. This was during. The Roman emperors, the persecution uh, wasn't just at Jerusalem from the Sanhedrin anymore, but now it was from the Roman government. And uh, this, we're coming into the time when Christians are being, getting ready to be thrown to the lions. And, and so, as we're thinking about this, you know, they're, they're, you know, the question is, what's the advantage of remaining single? Well, can you imagine a time of persecution or great crisis how much a burden a wife or family could be to somebody committed to standing strong for the Lord. Because you may be taken, captured, and tortured, and you may say, go ahead, torture me. But then they bring in your wife or your children and threaten you with them. This was not Uncommon. By the way, there's still parts of the world that these kind of things happen. Um, and so this is the present distress that Paul is writing about to the church of Corinth in particular and saying, look, you'd be better off not married right now. But if you are married, don't, get, don't leave it. It's not right to leave that marriage. But it does place you know, limitations and it replaces responsibilities that are, that are required. And you, know, and, and you look at it from one perspective, it'd be good to have a man's presence for protection in times of person like, persecution like this. But on the other side, then it, it puts, if, if a man is, is taken in and persecuted, his wife and children are put at risk because of his testimony. You know, Nero plotted these grievous persecutions against the churches. And so, you know, Paul is not encouraging neglect of proper family duties, but he's encouraging us, and no matter, and what he's saying here is, no matter where we find ourselves, number one, we are to serve the Lord. We're to serve the Lord. And, and of course, this was going to brought out a little bit last week. But in verses 25 through 31, what he's really saying is, whether you're married or not married, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Seek the Lord's will. Seek the Lord's will. He, if you notice, he says in verse 29, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they have None. And again, he's not encouraging forsaking their wives. But live for the Lord regardless of whether you're married or not. You know, we have to determine that we're going to do right no matter what. Because once you start the cave, there's no end to that. Did you see who recently capitulated? Chick-fil-A. Now, the Sodomite crowd isn't going to be satisfied with the, that little capitulation they made. 
They're going to go after them now with vengeance. They're going to increase the pressure because they've got them to capitulate so they know they're weak now. And they know that they can push them further and further and that's how they work. So Paul is encouraging us and challenging us whether you're married or not married, we have to live with an eye to eternity. Again, verse 29 says, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they have none. Time is short. Now, <coughs> excuse me. Some say, well, some might say, well, you know, my goodness, he's saying time is short. You know, that was 2,000 years ago. But you know, we're always, always to live as if time is short. Because we don't know when the Lord's coming. We, are all, we, we say it this way, his, Lord is, his coming is imminent. That means it, it may not be soon, but it could be at any time. But we are to live with that view in mind. Uh, in, 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 in many places in the Bible, this is brought out. Philippians chapter 3, for example, verses 20 and 21, he says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, for, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So our conversation is in, our man of life is in heaven, and we're to, we're, to, we're to live as we are in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, and verses 1 through 10, again he says, But at the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night, when then they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman and a child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in the darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. In other words, you know, whether, he's, whether we, whether we are, are die and go be with the Lord, or whether we remain here, we are to live for him. We're to watch and be sober, constantly aware that the Lord may come at any time. We're to live in light of that. <clears throat> and again in the second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 now we beseech you brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ by our gathering together unto him that ye be not soon shaken in mind or troubled neither by word, spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us that the day of Christ is at hand it's at hand First Peter 4 Peter wrote about this as well in First Peter chapter 4 and verse 7 where he, he said, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. 
And so we are to, we are to be continually serving the Lord, living in light of the fact that, the, that we're going to have to give an account to the Lord, whether we're married or not married, or whether there is distress or difficult circumstances, we're to endeavor to live for the Lord. We're to be serving the Lord as his children. You know, a, a time is short attitude will keep us from indulging in the feelings and the things of this world. You know, he mentions here in verse 30, uh, uh, and they that weep as though they wept not, they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, they that buy as though they possess not. You know, we have things, but those things ought not to possess us. They ought to be things like an old coat that we can chuck off at any time and part with. You know, sometimes we get attached to things of this world. But you notice what he says about the things of this world. And they that use this world, verse 31, is not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. There's nothing solid and lasting in this world system. It's its nature to pass away. It's, 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 it's not permanent. And so we ought to not value those things as permanent. John said in 1 John 2.17, The world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And therefore, Peter said, be sober and watch unto prayer. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul starts out that verse with a therefore. Knowing that the, and, and really what he's t- saying is, you know, the instruction of the preceding that therefore is time is short. Therefore. And then he says this, stand fast. Hold the traditions yeah, you've been taught. Now, somebody say, well, we're not supposed to follow traditions. The word tradition means teachings passed down from generation to generation. And so the Bible is telling us, look, we're to hold fast to the, the teachings, the doctrines that have been passed down from generation to generation, that have been practiced for centuries. In other words, this is not a time to change our beliefs. This is not a time to change our practices and our methods. You know, many say they haven't changed their practice or the met, or they haven't changed what they believe, just their practice and methods. But you know, the real reason people change their practices and methods is because they really have changed their beliefs. Your beliefs are known by what you do, not by what you say. Rahab demonstrated she believed God by what she did. And the Jericho, the people of Jericho demonstrated what they believed about God by what they did. They hold up in the city in defiance against God. Again, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God demonstrated that his belief by what he did. And so this is not a time. This is not a time to change what you believe. That's what the Bible is saying here. Paul says we're to keep serving the Lord. Hold fast the additions you've been taught. You know, biblical convictions and standards that have been held for centuries, all of a sudden to many churches are dead issues. Churches are, as Brother Hoyle said this morning, apologizing 
for the things they once held. Sometimes they'll even say, well, we're sorry we were so intolerant. You know, God is intolerant of a lot of things. Truth is not respective of people's feelings. Truth is truth. By the way, those who claim tolerance are the most intolerant people he can find. You know, we have to ask the question, is there a biblical Bible basis for those things that were taught? Not whether they're accepted or pleasing in our modern day. And so wherever we find ourselves in, we are to serve the Lord faithfully. Well, you notice the second thing here we see in this passage. We need to understand God's purpose in marriage. Now, this is not really spelled out in this passage in particular, for the point of this passage has to do with the present distress. However, this passage does teach us that we are here to please and serve the Lord. So wherever or whatever place or state we find ourselves, either married or unmarried, we are to please the Lord. Therefore, we ought to understand God's purpose in marriage. Now, marriage, of course, was instituted by God. It is sanctioned by God. It is encouraged and blessed of God. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Proverbs 18.22 says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. And so what is the purpose of marriage? Well, first of all, the purpose of marriage, the primary purpose of marriage is to raise a godly seed. Go to Malachi chapter 2 and verses 15 and 16. Malachi chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Malachi 2, verse 15 says, And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. And so he says here, and, and why, in verse 15, did he, did he not... Did not he make one, that is God made one, made them one in marriage, and, and, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, let none deal treacherously against the wife of his use. Now the children of Israel were falling into the, the, the temptations of the heathen nations around them, just like the, the, the people at Corinth. They had their primary wife, and then they had a secondary wife for other things. And they had a wife. They had a wife they had children for, and then they had a wife for their for their pleasure and and, and whatever. And you know, and and they could go to the uh, 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 temples to the temple prostitutes. And this is the things that the children of Israel were falling into, getting secondary wives. And the Lord looks says, "Don't you deal treacherously with the wife of your youth? That's dealing treacherously." Against the wife of your youth. For the purpose of that marriage is to raise a godly seed. It's to raise a godly seed. 
In Genesis 4.25, it says, And Adam knew his wife again. Now, this is after Cain killed Abel. And she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. You see, that one flesh ship was to produce a godly seed, Seth. And we see this over and over again in the Bible. Genesis 17, 7 and 8. I will establish my covenant between thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant. And, of course, it was said of Abraham that he would command his children his household after him. They would keep the way of the Lord. You see, it is God's desire for those who get married to raise up, to lead another generation to serve the Lord. And so it is so important that you marry in the will of God because it can make or break you in this respect. Yeah, there's nothing more heartbreaking than a child in rebellion against God. But there's no greater blessing than children who live to please God. And that is God's primary purpose in marriage. It's to raise a godly seed. Now, you think about that. It requires work, toil, sacrifice, and a lot of self-denial. You may not be able to have all the toys and nice things that others may have. But you know what? All those things are temporal. They're just temporal. You die, you're going to leave them. There is nothing as rewarding as children who serve the Lord. And this is the command that God gave, Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, to do it. Genesis 9.1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. He told Jacob, Genesis 35, God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful, multiply. A nation and company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loin. Did you ever stop and ask yourself this question? Why does the world hate Israel so? Are they more depraved and wicked than everyone else? Are they a burden to the world? I'll have you know there's more accolades been laid on Israelites for their research in the medical fields and, and technology than probably any group of people on the face of the earth. You know, there's no greater testimony, there's not a greater testimony to the Lord than a, than a family that serves God. And Israel is a family. They're 12 sons of one man. Now, I want you to think about this. To them was given the oracles of God. The word of God was given to the nation of Israel. 
that family. The, record, the written record of God's dealings with man for the last 6,000 years. The world hates that record. And if they can destroy Israel, they can discredit a lot of this record. You know, there are many promises in the Bible to Israel yet to be fulfilled. And again, they're a family. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign in prosperance, who execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. See, God, the world hates Israel because it hates God. And they are a testimony to the, the faithfulness of God. You know, families are a testimony to the faithfulness of God. God's, of course, God's corporate testimony today is the churches. But you know, churches need families. The backbone of churches is families. God instituted marriage in the home to glorify him. And Satan has been working overtime to destroy it. And so we need to understand that the purpose of marriage is to raise a godly seed. That's the primary purpose. We need to understand also that marriage, and this is in this passage, marriage requires caring for the other spouse. Again, this requires sacrifice. Notice verses 32 through 34 says, but I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now, understand he is not saying that, it's a, that, it, that you are less holy if you're married, then if you're unmarried. But what he is saying is this. Married people have an obligation to other people, to their spouse. Whether you're a wife or a husband, you have an obligation, and it does, it does take time from that which maybe you could otherwise give to the Lord. Well, I mentioned in men's prayer the other night about a man that he knew that never married. And some people, people always trying to hook him up. And, and he said they come to the conclusion he was married to the church. Because he was not married, he had no responsibilities besides himself, just taking care of himself. He didn't have a wife to care for or children to care for. He could give much more of his time to the Lord. But you know what? If everybody was like him, how long would churches exist? They wouldn't. We'd become, again, we'd become extinct. So that's not the issue here. The issue is this, is that we need to be in marriage. We are, by God, commanded to be caring for the other. A man is to please his wife. The wife is to please her husband. 
The word careth here means to care for, to look out for a thing, to promote one's interest. Again, you're caring for the others. You're promoting the other's interests. The word please means to have an eye to the interest of others. <coughs> Excuse me. So marriage obligates us to, to care and to please someone else, our, our spouse. Romans 15. The Lord gave us an example here. Romans 15, in verses 1 through 3, he says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. And even in the church he's saying, you know, if there's somebody that's struggling and has difficulties, we're to bear the infirmities of the weak. You know, we're to help those along that need help and and so on and so forth. And, And he said, we're not just to live for ourselves. We're to look to the interest of others. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. See, Christ didn't come to please himself. He was always caring for the needs of others. He had an eye to the interests of others. And that's the way it is to be in marriage. In fact, Deuteronomy 24, 5 says this, When a man hath taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with any business. But he shall be free at home one year, and shall cheer up his wife which he hath taken. So if you just got married, you shouldn't be running off to war. And leaving your wife at home. And get, or get so taken up in business that you don't have no time for your wife. You know, he's, it says he's to cheer up his wife. The word cheer up means to be of a joyful, cheerful countenance. Is your home that way? And yet the responsibility for that is put on, guess who here? The husband. Yeah, the observation here is, where is the focus? Where is our focus? Is it on how I can please the other? Is it not on what is, it is not on what is the other doing to please me. That's selfish. As long as the focus is on, on what the other is not doing, there will always be conflict. And so marriage, as you know, mentioned, I mentioned some of this last week, is, is for the other. We're to care for the things. A husband's to care for the things of his wife. The wife is to care for the things of her husband. So we need to understand the purpose of marriage. Then thirdly, we need to follow the guidelines God gives to get into marriage. Notice verse 36 through verse 38. But if any man think that he had behaved with himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age and needs so require, let him do what he willeth. 
will, he sinneth not, let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, hath so decreed in his heart, that he will keep his virgin doeth well. So then, he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. Now, according to this passage, and I know this is considered archaic in our modern, intelligent world, the father is responsible to guide his children in the marriage. He has the authority to deny or turn away prospective spouses. Now, this is not popular in our world. You know, we have this fall in love mentality. Or this chemistry, you know, they have chemistry. Now, obviously, they ought to like each other. But, you know, you can learn to love someone. But it used to be common practice. And when it was, divorce was rare. I remember an old evangelist telling, telling us one time, he said, I never heard of divorce when I was growing up. He's 85, I think, now or something like that. He said, I, he grew up in Alabama. He said, I never, never heard of divorce. He said, first time I heard of divorce was I was a, in my teenage years. He said, everybody went to town to see what a divorce, divorced person looked like. You know, if marriage is... If marriage is such an important step, should we enter it without counsel and direction and help? You know, they say love is blind, marriage is the eye opener, and too often that's true. And, and by the way, I don't believe this is just about our daughters. Go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Now, you young men better value the counsel and judgment of your father. Because it may save you a lot of heartache. That puts a lot of responsibility on us men, which is what our responsibility is. So, father is responsible to guide children into marriage. And notice the second thing here. Marry only those of like faith. Verse 39. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. Now, it says here she can be married only in the Lord. And a lot of people say, well, as long as he's a Christian. But what too many have found out was he or she is not the kind of Christian they were thought to be. 
You know, in Bible times, understand the context here. In Bible times, if you were a Christian, it was, it was because you really wanted to be. There was no profit in it. In fact, many times there was persecution because of it. So people just didn't become Christians or join churches to look good. To look good. Because there wasn't any temporal benefit in it. In fact, there was temporal hurt in it. But see, nowadays, there can be temporal benefit. You can look good in society if you're, of course, that's starting to change. As even Christianity is starting to become, you know, uh, unpopular. But, you know, in our, in our society, you know, well, we say, well, he must be a good person because he goes to church. Maybe. Maybe not. You see, marriage is for life. At least that's what it's supposed to be. Verse 39 says, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she's liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. So it's supposed to be, God intended marriage to be for life. And if you are committing your life to someone for life, is it not vitally important that you have a thorough knowledge of that person and have the insight and counsel of dad, mom, Pastor, or those who know that person, because anybody can look, make themselves look good. And if you don't have the same beliefs, you will have conflict from the start. You have division at the outset. Well, he's handsome, he's wealthy, he gives me flowers, he's so much fun. What does he believe? And does it show? That's the question we need to ask. What does he believe and does it show? Does he have convictions? Bible-based convictions. Will he stand? You know, that's what Paul is telling us here in this passage. Look, we're to stand hold those traditions regardless of what happens or what state we find ourselves in. What is he like at home? At work, how's his work ethic? How, how does he get along with people? Is he easily provoked? He doesn't get his own way. Well, she's pretty and intelligent. And she says, uh-huh, to everything I say. <laughs> What's she like at home? And again, what does she believe? Does she have a meek and quiet spirit? You know, any young lady can present themselves as a meek and quiet spirit in controlled settings. But what are they like in real life? I remember, and I don't think I was real, real wise, but God was gracious to me and gave me a good wife anyway, but... But, you know, I do remember one time in Sunday school class, you know, this, this, one of the Sunday school teachers telling us that, you know, something you ought to do before you marry, consider marrying the girl you're thinking about, is show up at her house unannounced. I did that a few times. I didn't change my mind. <laughs> but, you know, if marriage is for life, this is why we need to seek the counsel 
and input of others. I'm not saying they, need, they ought to pick your spouse. But they might. It might be good. But understand, again, the purpose of marriage is to raise a godly seed. And marriage is to be for life. And if this is something that's this vitally important, it is imperative that we seek counsel, that we enter it with both eyes open, knowing all that we ought to know. And not to enter it blindly. So, we that are married, we understand the purpose. As parents, understand the responsibility we have to our children, particularly as dads. And you young people, understand the seriousness of this union that will have and how it will impact your life. And enter it with utmost caution and wisdom. Seeking counsel with those that God has placed over you for your help and your, for, for your protection.